The natural high. California, the most wonderful place in the world. Clement temperatures year-round, an openness and sense of liberty amongst large swathes of the population that speaks to positivity, inclusiveness and hope. And a geography that is impossible not to fall in love with. As an Englishman abroad, I've enjoyed a quasi-celebrity status here and feel wholly unspecial whenever I return to the UK. In general, my two and a half years in America have been an elevating experience. I first crossed the Atlantic in order to reconcile with the love of my life. Complacency and entitlement had brought me to a point where I had to decide what was important. The answer electrified me day and night. She was. Without her, life lacked colour. So I nestled in Northern California and eventually won the hand of my soulmate. We married in San Francisco City Hall in April 2018. Until then, I'd been living in San Francisco, but Oakland was her home because it was better located for the commute to and from work each day. So I upped sticks again and moved to the more edgy and artistically vibrant Oakland two years ago. Our first dwelling was in a de facto gated community in Jack London Square. This haven by the bay comprises a stunning marina which is lined with modern boutiques and en vogue eateries. Every Sunday there's a farmer's market which only adds to the sense of the middle class bubble with expensive luxury lodgings and easy access by ferry to the financial district of San Francisco. While charming in of itself, I soon learned that Jack London Square was not at all representative of Oakland. When we moved to Lake Merritt a year later, I felt a much keener sense for the area as a whole. This was a far more cosmopolitan blend of people from all walks of life and of shockingly disparate means. At the top of the pile, there were rich pickings for the well-heeled startup crowd. Oakland is a quickly developing area with new complexes going up at every point of the compass. It's not quite as expensive as San Francisco, but still astronomically pricey in parts. And our own apartment complex was something of a microcosm of the city, while families of five clinged for dear life to their rent-controlled one-bedroom apartments, new tenants like ourselves came in and took newly refurbished two beds for six times the rent. The longer you live in Oakland, the more you understand the problems in America. The wealth divide is truly shocking. Having lived in London for 15 years, I wasn't a stranger to poverty. There was a smattering of homeless people in certain areas of the town. But Oakland is on a different level to anything I've seen. The homelessness problem here is almost unfathomable. Difficult to process and impossible to ignore. This, after all, is the richest country in the world. So how could things have gone so badly wrong? I'm greeted daily by scenes of extreme poverty homeless encampments under every motorway intersection, and the affluent literally rubbing shoulders with the bedraggled and ostensibly hopeless. It seems that the more privileged become desensitised to it over time. However kind or compassionate, I sense that the population learns to turn a blind eye to the poverty in order to maintain a sense of happiness within. A limping middle-aged African-American man pushes a buckled trolley with all his belongings past the window of an artisan bakery, while an upwardly mobile young man sips coffee and types furiously from the warm sanctuary of the interior. He looks up for a moment, but he's looking straight through the homeless man, a thousand-yard stare as he summons the most aspirational words for his email. 
As of December 2019, there were 151,278 homeless individuals in California, according to the US Department of Housing and Urban Development. That's the highest number since at least 2007 and represents nearly a 17% uptick since 2018. These people have become ghosts to those on the right side of the cafe windows. Some of us privileged think we're doing them a favour by not drawing attention to them, by passively coexisting with them. I don't want to get too judgmental here, for we are all to blame. I regularly vent spleen to friends and neighbours about the status quo and how we can treat the poor quite so badly. But even that's just perhaps a way of assuaging my own guilt about how inactive I've become in the quest for a fairer society. Because I may talk about it, but what do I actually do about it besides giving a few dollars here and there to the desperate, outstretched hands who implore me as I cruise past in the comfort of my new car, which is pathetically easy to attain on credit when you tick the right boxes, but utterly off limits to those who don't have a bank account. We all just let it happen. We don't look after our poor. When I first moved here, I was particularly struck by the amount of tents erected by the homeless in and around the small parks of Lake Merritt. At the height of the homeless encampment here, there must have been at least 50 temporary dwellings. They were soon moved on as the park was cleaned up in the summer of 2019. As a daily user of this park, I witnessed at first hand how peaceful these people were. They didn't cause any trouble and were clearly content to be living in something approaching nature as opposed to the filthy concrete underpasses on the highways. There was one exception to the clean-up. Perhaps the most picturesque part of the lake is Lakeside Park. It's nicely tucked away from traffic, adorned with a variety of trees and faces the lake. It even has its own little beach. The birds flock to this area, which also has an abundance of industrious squirrels that my dog loves to chase, but thankfully never catches. In the centre of this leafy sanctuary is the James P. Edoff Memorial Bandstand. Edoff was appointed as the president of the first board of park commissioners in 1912. He died in 1915, but was a big fan of the Oakland Municipal Band. The wife of the band's organiser took a picture of a famous bandstand in Milan, Italy in 1914, and this became the inspiration for the structure that still stands in Lake Merritt to this day. There is some debate about when it was first constructed. Some believe that a wooden bandstand originally stood there, but one photograph taken in 1908 shows the same bandstand that we see today. At its height in the 1920s and 30s, the municipal band played here every Saturday and to crowds of up to 5,000 people. While the rest of the homeless from Lake Merritt were swept away to some small huts a few miles away, one man remained. Walking the park as I do every day, I'm increasingly fascinated by his story. He seems above the law where it comes to the continuation of his park existence. A tall, elegant African-American man, perhaps in his late 60s or early 70s, he somehow avoided the homeless cull and lives under the bandstand in his small makeshift tent to this day. He quietly goes about his daily routines, meticulously cleaning his plates and cups in the nearby water fountain carefully fortifying his makeshift tent after any inclement weather from the previous night, dusting off a hat or straightening out a jacket from his unusually large collection of weathered gentlemen's garments. Never straying far from his bandstand, he often circles his territory slowly, 
meaningfully, ostensibly pondering life as he strolls around with his hands behind his back. I've never seen him talking to anyone, but he seems strangely serene, content in his own company and with his way of life. He doesn't carry the merest hint of desperation and looks lithe and healthy for a man of his advanced years. I often wonder if he's actually a great philosopher of the ilk of Eckhart Tolle, a man who has intentionally renounced the materialistic life in favour of studied asceticism, clearing the decks so that he can profoundly ponder the meaning of life. I've taken him some food on occasion, but I've never had the right questions to ask to take our silent acquaintance to the next level. A few months back, I heard a fascinating account from another dog walker, which at once gave me context on the plight of the homeless and the attitudes of the privileged. This dog walker is someone I'd seen several times, but on this occasion his dogs came so close to me that it would have been rude not to start some kind of conversation. He was a larger-than-life character in his 40s, who, he said, had been living in the area for many years and was quite invested in the community as a whole. He seemed very friendly and chatty to begin with, but then, to my muted disdain, he told me that he had spent lots of time trying to get this guy moved on from the bandstand. He argued that people couldn't use it because bandstand man was always there and he should be moved on like the rest of the previous dwellers for the greater good. Despite my annoyance at this man's intentions, I masked my emotions because I wanted to hear more about the mysterious bandstand dweller. The dog walker told me that he had contacted the council and even the police in an attempt to have this man ejected from the park. When he pressed the council about why bandstand man was still there, they said that they were aware of the man and couldn't divulge any more about it. The irritable dog walker made further inquiries, this time to the park wardens, who said they couldn't talk about the details of the bandstand man, but just to leave him alone. He tried to take this conversation further, but noticed that he was inflaming the park wardens and realized that further scrutiny was unwise. The dog walker told me that just being allowed to stay in the park wasn't the limit of the special dispensation of bandstand man and that he even had a lockable space underneath the bandstand where he was allowed to keep his belongings. Although this seemed a bit outlandish, bandstand man did have an unusual amount of clothes for one who ostensibly only had a makeshift tent of six foot by three foot for all of his belongings. He also told me that bandstand man was apparently deaf. These developments fueled my curiosity greatly, but also added complexity to the subject. I wanted this peaceful and somewhat mystical man to stay at the bandstand if he wanted to. He never caused anybody any bother and seemed to enjoy his existence in the park. He knew how to more than just survive here and moving him to one of the newly constructed huts for the homeless, built quickly in some nearby concrete jungle that I'd heard about, seemed like a huge downgrade on his already humble situation. How dare this entitled dog walker try to evict Bandstand Man for his aesthetical pleasure? After all, Bandstand Man never stood in the way when others wanted to convene en masse there. Whenever an event, formal or otherwise, was afoot, Bandstand Man would quietly move his stuff to the periphery of the park and peacefully watch on until the revellers had had their fill. But the complexity of this situation was all too apparent, for if I was to shine a light on him by publishing this piece, he could be swamped by curious passers-by or, worse still, forced to move on as his cover was blown. Surely better for him to potter on as one of the more successful homeless ghosts of Oakland. But was he really happy? Was he mentally coherent enough to look after himself here? Was it a life choice or was he unable to ask for help? 
Did he really have the tools for survival out here or was he like so many of the homeless in Oakland mentally ill? And if I did nothing to help this gentle giant, then was I just part of the problem? The passive onlooker who periodically assuaged my guilt by giving a few dollars or talking about how fucked up the system was. If I really was a good person, then surely I needed to act. I couldn't change government policy, but I could try to actively improve a life on a micro level. If I didn't do anything, surely I really had just become one of those privileged, desensitized people who just let it all happen. I decided that the best course of action was to finally pluck up the courage to approach him and actually talk to him rather than just give him the odd bit of food. Let him tell his story if he was able, try to understand his mental state and if he needed help. I realised that this could be the end of the pleasant acquaintance that I had built with him, offering him food from time to time and sitting in silence 30 yards away a few times a week as I propped up a camp chair and got on with my work to let my dog nuzzle in the grass in his favourite surroundings. This would be the start of a new relationship and it may not be a happy one, but I just had to connect with Bandstand Man. I prepared as best I could with a list of questions. I wanted to know his story and try to discern what, if any, help he needed. But wait, annoying dog walker said that he was deaf. My wife is also deaf in one ear and learned sign language some time ago. I would have to take her with me. So this was it, a glorious Sunday afternoon in mid-January. I prepare a picnic and a few pillows and blankets in lieu of an icebreaker and coerce the similarly curious wife into accompanying me. We enjoy a couple of alcoholic beverages to loosen up as my wife indulges in her favourite hobby of playing the ukulele. We listen to our favourite Sunday afternoon podcast, Guy Garvey's weekly BBC Radio 6 DJ session. Then we slowly approach the bandstand. We've taken him food several times before, so he knows we're friends. My wife, the consummate communicator, takes the final steps up to the bandstand with food and sleeping accessories. He gesticulates his gratitude with gusto as ever. Then my wife asks his name. He loosely gestures that he can't speak. So my wife tries to communicate with sign language, but this too fails. He seems a little uncomfortable at this stage and we want our offering to feel like a positive part of his day. So there ends the brief attempt to converse with this gentle giant. A few weeks later, we moved to San Francisco with a little remorse that we had not done more to assist this man, but with mild comfort that we had improved his life in a small way from time to time. And that's life in California in microcosm. Most of us are good citizens, conscientious enough and willing to give if and when called upon. But while there are, of course, some genuine heroes out there who dedicate big chunks of their life to shifting the homelessness paradigm, many of us dip in and out from time to time as our conscience is momentarily pricked before returning to other matters at hand and the preoccupation of making ends meet in a city whose bubble will surely burst before too long. I'm also comforted by the fact that I really believe Bandstand Man is content. Perhaps he's more content than most. He doesn't bother himself with credit cards, social media and the addiction of vacuous materialism which seems to have ever-decreasing marginal returns. He spends his afternoons looking out over the lake and perhaps pondering the more meaningful existential questions that few of us seem to have time for in this digital age. The Natural High
follow us on Twitter at Natural High Club or go straight to the website, thenaturalhighclub.com. And remember to subscribe to the Natural High Podcast through whichever platform you're listening to get every new pod straight to your phone.